Well, we're going to have to be doing a better job screening who we do the announcements. Uh, Buckeyes, really. Really, I mean, this is California, right? Like, uh, we don't do Midwest here, right? That's a, and then Cowboys? I stopped playing that with Indians, like, years ago. I mean, we've got, like, real team. We've got, like, USC out here. We've got, see, there you go. We've got UCLA. We, we got the San Diego Chargers. Yay! So I'm telling you. I uh, just want to be clear, I'm from California, I'm all over that, all right? Born here, raised here, no Midwest stuff here, California, all right? So that's what I'm talking about. So, okay, yeah, all right. right uh, and, we'll, and we'll let a few other Gentile converts from the Midwest come, that's okay. I'm telling you, but, but this is a church by Californians for California, so no more, no more Buckeye stuff, all right? That's what I'm saying. Okay, well, my name is Pastor Mike. This is my final week here at Rocky Peak. And uh, I just want to welcome you to our service. In fact, do we have any newcomers today? First time here? Any first-timers? You got some there in the back in the back book or there? Any in here? Yeah, right here in the middle? Got some? Yes, over here. Okay, so we got all the, all the section. Any in the balcony people? Any balcony newcomers? Okay, yes, we got one over here. Okay. Any, no one over here. You're the one section that's letting me down. Okay, so next week I want to know. No, just uh, if you're if you're here uh, for the first time, for all those who raised your hands, and for the many uh, other newcomers who didn't, because you don't want to be identified, <laughs> welcome. We are glad you're here. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and inside of the uh, your weekend program is a white message note sheet that we use every week for our time of teaching, and so I encourage you to uh, follow along. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Father, thank you so much what you're doing here in our lives, what you're doing in our church. God, the way you're waking us up, you're breathing new life into us, you're teaching us what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. Uh, we're learning together what it means to be part of this ancient movement that was once called the way in the early church. And God, as we wrap up this final mini-series today, our second mini-series, the final message of the, this mini-series, Rescued and Restored, God, we pray that you'd, you'd speak to us about our destiny and about your calling in our lives and what you have planned for us and where we're going and how you've been working in our lives since before we were born to this present day and, and will until time ends to carry out your purpose in our life. And we pray you'd give us insight and wisdom into that. We pray in your name. Amen. Our story starts today in the Middle East uh, with a man named Joe. He's a great guy. He was a great kid growing up and uh, had big dreams for his future. Um, but he grew up in a really dysfunctional home. Uh, anyone can relate to that? No, no, show of hands. You're like, I'm in one right now. No. Um, he uh, grew up in a really dysfunctional home, and, and, and I'm talking serious. I mean, his dad was married a couple times, had kids from two other women, and so there was actually uh, kids from four, different, uh, from four different women in this family. It was a big family. It was at least 13 that we know of. He was one of the youngest, and, uh, and when I say dysfunctional, I mean, we're talking seriously dysfunctional. Uh, one of his brothers had sex with one of the mothers in the family. Um, one of the, uh, uh, the, the family, they moved into a new area one time, and, and uh, the, one of his older sisters was raped, and then a couple of his brothers took it out on, on the people, uh, killed a bunch of people as a result. It was, just, it was a mess. And on top of that, just major sibling rivalry. I mean, and you've got, uh, you know, four kids from four different moms. You can imagine the infighting between the moms, the wives, the kids, and all that sort of thing. It was just highly dysfunctional. And a lot of it fell upon him. He was one of the youngest kids. Um, for whatever reason, he was uh, like his father's favorite. His dad made no secret about it. And so, 
So the rest of the kids hated him. And so it's just tough, tough uh, time growing up. And when he was a teenager, uh, when he was a teenager, it came to a point where his brothers finally had enough. They decided to, to take him out, that they were actually going to kill him. About that time, they came across some uh, human traffickers. Remember, it was the Middle East. And, uh, and so they, they, they actually decided, you know, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. And that way we'll make some money off him. We'll get him out of the area. Um, and we won't have his death on our conscience. And so they did. And so he ends up uh, working for another, uh, he's taken away from his family to another Middle Eastern country where he works for a, a government official and just kind of wondering what has happened to his life. And so that's our story. We'll come back to that later. But today we're going to be continuing our series um, in, it's called The Way. And for those of you who are new, that were brave enough to self-identify, or those who weren't, um, this, is a, this is a series, it's a, it's a study of the life and the teaching of a man named the Apostle Paul, who's really one of the greatest spiritual leaders, Christ followers, spiritual thinkers of the ages. And what we're doing as a church is we're coming alongside of him and asking him to mentor us. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of this ancient movement that Jesus started that was in the early church was called the way? And so every week we're doing the same thing. We start off in the, the Paul's uh, letter to the church of Rome, which was one of his longest and most famous letters. Then we launch off from there into other writings to see what he has to say on that same topic, whatever he brings up in, in Romans. And so today we come to chapter 8. So if you have your, uh, your Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, it's the last, today is the last message in this new, in this second mini-series, uh, Rescued and Restored, that we've been in since June. And <clears throat> the, uh, this has been, a, this mini-series, Paul has talked to us about what does it look like to be rescued from our past, what does it look like to be restored, to be the people that we are created to be. And today he wants to finish up the section talking about our destiny, God's big picture plan for our life, what to expect in the future. And so we're going to pick up the story at chapter 8 and verse 28, and then we'll go through to the very end of the chapter, and then we'll be ready for our new series that starts next week, by the way. Next week, we start a new series, a mini-series called um, Called and Chosen, and it's uh, just four weeks long. We'll talk about that more later on. So we'll be kicking off, and it covers chapter like 9 through 11. So we'll uh, talk more about that later. But anyway, so if you have your Bibles, Romans 8 and 28 starts off and says, For we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, for those who are, have been called according to his purpose. Now, how many of you have ever heard of that verse? <laughs> it's a pretty famous verse. If you're really new at this whole Jesus Christianity thing, you probably never heard that. But it's a very famous verse, and for good reason. It's an amazing promise that if you're a Christ follower today. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, this doesn't yet apply to you. But if you're a Christ follower, the promise is, is that God takes all the stuff in our life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he is so brilliant, he can weave it together and make something good out of it. And the reason I mention that right off the bat is that if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower yet, and you say, man, I would love to have that kind of relationship with God. I would love to know that God's going to take all the stuff of my life the good, the bad, and the ugly, mistakes I've made, and he wants to weave it into something amazing. If you say, I would love to have that true of my life, well, at the end of the service today, I'm going to give you a chance to give your life to Christ. And then that promise will begin to get activated in your life. But before we go off this promise, I want to point out a couple things about it that we often miss. Um, You know, when we understand Scripture, the most important thing is context, right? 
And so what's the context of this verse? Well, he's just told us last week in the previous verses that you and I live in a fallen universe, a fallen cosmos. That this world, this world of tsunamis and hurricanes and death and disease and birth defects and tragedy, that this world is not the way it was created to be, that it's a fallen world. This world is a world that groans. Remember he told us that? It's groaning world, waiting for the time when Jesus comes back, we get our new bodies, the whole world will be transformed. And so this current world is a fallen world. And so Paul says, and yet, even in the midst of this crazy fallen world, when a man or a woman gives their life to Jesus, guess what? He takes all the crud from that fallen world, and he's able to transform it into something good. And that's the context, okay? Second thing is, I want you to notice this is not a generic promise given to all human beings. You know, it's funny. We live in the United States. It's a... Uh, uh, you know, once kind of a more of a Christian type culture, not any longer, I don't think. But, be, but we still have long cultural memories. And it's funny how certain things or beliefs in our culture are just so rooted in our culture. We don't even think of them as Christian, but they're just kind of there. Like the concept of forgiveness, very different, say, than here than, say, in Hindu culture. You know, where it's like, hey, you know, so what? You, you have to go round, round the loop a few times in karma, get that thing squared away. But it's just certain Christian concepts are kind of woven into our culture. And, and this is one of them. And you'll often hear people say this, that even non-believers will say something, something happened to them, and they go, they'll say, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be, right? There's a very strong sense in our culture that certain things are meant to be or not meant to be, and if something doesn't work out, it's like, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. And, and I think it really comes from our old days when we used to believe Romans 8, 28, you know, as a nation, that, that God has a plan and so it doesn't work out. But I want you to catch here, this is not a generic promise given to all Americans or all people or all human beings. It's a specific message, promise given to Christ followers. Okay? See what it says? Romans 8, 28. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who what? Love him. Love him. See, it's not a generic. It's for those who love him. And who have been called, which is a technical term we'll talk about in a few minutes, according to his purpose. So there's people that are part of his, his program, his plan, what he's doing in their life. Now, okay, so uh, also I want you to notice that how he defines the good. God works all things together for the good. Well, what do you mean by good, Paul? Do you mean that we all be healthy, wealthy, successful? All have big homes, nice cars, uh, you know, big bank accounts, rise to the top. Is that what you're saying, that God's going to No, and he goes on in verse 29 to tell us what he's talking about. He says, for those that God foreknew, one of the things we'll be seeing today is that God has a plan for our lives. It starts before the creation of the world, so he knew us before time. We'll see that later. Those who God foreknew, he also predestined or planned to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So God's got a plan for your life and my life as Christ followers. And what is the plan? The plan's to make us like Jesus, our big brother. That's his plan. And so when God says that I'm working all things together for good, it's in that context of working you to be like your big brother. Now, you might say, well, Mike, why do you always say you're like his big brother? Well, because of what he says next. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what's God about in the human race? He's creating a new community, a new family of people who are going to grow up and be just like their big brother, Jesus. That's what God's up to, okay? Now, 
Now, in verse 30, he tells us more about this plan that's been going on since before time began. He's already told us that as Christ followers, he knew us ahead of time and that he planned for us to come, right? He's already told us that. Well, in verse uh, 30, he says, those that he predestined, those he planned to come, he also called. That's a technical term. So in other words, at a certain point in time, and you probably remember this if you're a follower of Jesus today, it all made sense to you. At a certain point, it all made sense, and you realized you sensed that God was calling you, right? And you needed to respond. You remember that day or that season of your life when suddenly like, oh, I'm getting this. I need to follow. And so, so God, has, he knows you before time began. He plans out a way for you to come to him. At a particular point in time, he calls you, right? And when you respond and come to him, what does he say? Does he reject you and say, sorry, you're not good enough? No, he said the next step, says those he called, he justified. Now remember, this is a technical term too. Remember from Romans 5, it says that now being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So remember we learned this. We stand in a place called grace, remember? Because not based on our doing, our performance, based on what Christ's performance on the cross. And so we, when we come to Jesus, we come messed up. But he, God justifies us. It's a legal term. He, he considers us right because of what Christ did. So once we call, we're justified. And he says, those he justified, he also glorified. So now he's looking down the halls of time. We've looked all the way back to before the creation, before time began, when he foreknew us. Now Paul's looking all the way to the end of time, when time ends and Jesus comes back, and he sees the end of the story, that God's glorified us. And so what he says is what I want you to catch is that God has been in this process in your life from before time began. He thought you up. He saw you before time began. He planned out a way for you to come. He called you at a specific point. When you came, he accepted you based on Christ. And the end of the story is he's going to glorify you. You are going to be amazing. You're going to be like Jesus, okay? That's the story. That's the plan. And God's been working the plan all along the way. And so the obvious question then is verse 31. Well, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if this is God's plan and God's doing, who's going to stop it? Who's going to derail this train? Who has the power to step in and say, no, you won't be glorified? I'm going to stop that from happening. Is there anyone big enough, bad enough, strong enough to stop what God is doing? You see the flow of thought? You follow the logic here? And so he says, "Uh, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, talking about the future, graciously give us all things? I mean, God has already given us the best Paul says, of course, he's going to give us the rest. Okay? Now, in verse 33, now, now he begins to say, okay, well, wait a second. Okay, Paul, I get that. But now, let's talk about, is there any way that someone can mess up this plan? I just want to know. I'm a follower of Jesus. I love this future. I love Jesus. I want to know him. I want to grow with him. I want to spend the eternity with him. Is there any way this thing can go south? Is there anyone who's big enough, bad enough, strong enough to stop this? I mean, like, what about God? Could God change his mind? How about Jesus? I mean, what if he gets on my bad side and he condemns me? You know? What about Satan? Could Satan stop the process? Well, how about, uh, like, hard times? 
Could hard times stop the pro- What about persecution? People that don't like me because I'm a Christ follower and they beat my body or they kill my body. Could they stop the process? And what Paul's going to say is, no, no. No one can stop the process. This thing is in the, this is money. It's in the bank. This thing is bulletproof. And so he begins to go through his questions here in verse 33. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Remember back in chapter 3, we stood before the judgment seat of God, remember? Helpless, hopeless, doomed, condemned, damned. Remember, we were hopeless. And then Jesus came in, and he took the price, right? And so God, at that point, he justified us. He said, it doesn't matter about your performance. It matters about my son's performance. So the question is, hey, who's going to bring a charge against us before the court? Is there anyone that's going to walk in this courtroom that says, hey, you can't, that guy right there, he can't be glorified. You can't finish the process because X, Y, Z. Is there anyone that can bring a charge? And he says, well, Who's going to do that? He says, God's the one who justifies. I mean, God's the judge, and he's already said we're clear. Well, okay, well, who is he that condemns? Maybe someone will condemn me. How about Christ? Maybe he'll change his mind. Well, no, he died. More than that, he was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God right now. He's interceding, praying for us. He's running interference for us. He's saying, this one's mine. This one's with me. So God's for us. Christ is for us. Okay, well, anyone else? They could get in the way. Verse uh, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, I love him. He loves me. Is there anyone can break us up? Shall trouble? How about hardship? How about persecution? Remember last week we talked about this. As followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to pay the price. And the early church paid it all the time. And so could, hey, can anyone like maybe by beating my body or killing me, can they stop the process? Of course not. How about persecution? How about famine? How about nakedness? How about danger? How about the sword as it's written? He says, uh, he quotes Psalm 44. He's talking about the early Christians. He says, God, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We're going through it. Okay, so people can hate us and they can persecute us, but can they steal us away from Christ? That's the question. And he says, well, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No one can get at us. We are safe. 38, Paul speaks from his own personal experience now, 20 years of walking with Jesus through the craziest of circumstances. He said, I'm convinced. This is a statement of personal conviction here. I'm absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, Satan can't do it, neither the present, anything that happens now, the future, anything that's coming down the pipeline, any powers, whether they're human or earthly or, or uh, spiritual, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, God has a plan, and this thing is going through. Now, interesting, I don't think that what Paul is saying here, just a little sidebar, I don't think he's removing our choice in this matter. You know, it's like uh, all through the New Testament, Paul says this, hey, you know, you're going to be saved if you continue, if you continue, if you continue. He's not talking about our decision we're not going to follow anymore. What he's saying, there's no one outside of us, there is no power on heaven and earth that can step in and say, God's got his plan, and he's going to step in and say, no, God, I'm breaking up the plan. This train's not getting to that destination. I'm derailing it. 
He says, this is not going to happen because if God is for us, then who can be against us? Let's say it together. If God is for us, who can be against us? See, that's the whole message. And so as he wraps up these five chapters, five through eight, his point is, hey, we've talked about how we've come to Christ and what he's done. He set us free and we've crossed the line and we've stepped over the line and we're baptized and we're we're, we're dead to our old life. And we're now free again. We got the spirit and we got the future and we got the cosmos and the whole thing. And, and bottom line, no one can stop it. You see? No one can stop what God wants to do. Now, in the passage that we, uh, I mean, in the time we have today, what I want to do is take some time and break this out for us and make three statements there. On your note sheet, you have a section that's about our destiny. And it says, discovering your destiny, God's plan for your life. And I want to break this down and make three kind of big picture statements about what God's up to in your life and about our destiny as Christ's followers. I'm still upset about the Buckeyes, by the way. But anyway, let's just kind of move on. Let's just move on. That's right. We'll find out how good they are next week. All right. Just throwing it down right here, baby. Okay, number one. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to watch it. Just hoping I don't regret those words. Number one. If so, Dave Cox will be preaching next weekend. Uh, number one. Uh, here's the first statement. God has a plan for your life. God's got a plan for your life. And you're saying, like, um, man, I, I came to church just to hear that. I already read The Purpose Driven Life. What else you got? Um, no, I, I want to talk about this because I want to talk about this big picture plan uh, for your life. And Paul lays it out here. And I, I'm gonna, what we're going to be talking about in the next few minutes, since point number one, is one of the most important things we could ever talk about as a church. Not only as individual Christ followers, but as a church. Because in the next few minutes, we're going to define what this church is about. And we're going to define what life is about. We're going to define what ministry is about. And here's what Paul says. I want you to look. In this passage, Paul lays it out for us. That God has a plan for your life. And let's look and see what it is. It's in Romans 8, and verse 29. To me, it's one of the most famous, most important verses in all the Bible. If you've never written in your Bible, this would be a great place to start. Um, verse 29, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined. The catch is he predestined, he planned this. What is the plan? Here it is. To be conformed to the likeness of his son. You catch that? God has a plan for your life, and more than anything else, more than who you marry, more than where you work or what your job is or what you do or how much money, more than anything else, all those things are important. But more than anything else, his number one goal for your life is that you become like his son. Now, you say, well, Mike, why are you making such a big deal about this? Well, the reason is because many times in Christian circles, we have missed this. There's so many times that we have thought that the reason we come to Jesus is so that we go to heaven. Okay? There's times we think the reason we come to Jesus is so we get eternal life. The reason we come to Jesus is so we don't go to hell, right? And those are all part of the deal. They're all part of the package, important part of the package. But can I tell you, there's something like God's plan for your life is so much bigger than you're just going to heaven. His, his plan, his vision for your life is so much grander, so much bigger. His plan is that you become 
unbelievable as it seems, like Jesus. You see, because if you're not like Jesus, you could live forever and you could go to heaven, but you would ruin it for the rest of us. Because then heaven would be perfect except for you. And someone's got to live by you, and then it's not going to be heaven anymore because they got you for the neighbor. You see? You see, God's plan is so much. Yes, we're going to live forever. Yes, we're going to avoid going to hell. Yes, yes, yes. But it's so much bigger. The plan is for you to become like Jesus. Now, if you're a parent, uh, you may understand this. Uh, if not, I'm sure you can kind of mental model it. Um, when, when, my, uh, when we first find out that we were expecting, Lynn and I were expecting, actually Lynn was expecting, I was with her, but when, when we were expecting our first child, um, it, you know, we didn't know it was boy or girl, it was back in the day before you had scientific evidence like that, uh, like sonograms and all the cool things you have now. But, um, you know, I began praying for my child. I didn't know if boy or girl, but I began praying for that child in the womb, you know, very early on. I'm sure many of you have done the same. And uh, I mean, obviously, you don't want to wait till they're born. You start praying for them, right? You know, it's like you need to start praying for them now. And so, um, and so I probably prayed for a lot of things like, like a lot of you've prayed for. You know, I, I prayed that my kids would be bright, you know. Um, I prayed that they would be, uh, you know, just smart people. I, I prayed that um, they would be good with people, that have good people skills. Um, I prayed that they would be uh, attractive, uh, but not too attractive, um, <laughs> Because my life experience has been people are too attractive, get into problems. So I'm going to pray they're good looking, but not too good looking. And, um, and, and so, you know, I just pray for a bunch of things. But there was one thing I prayed for more than all the rest. And that was that they would have a passion for Christ, right? I pray that they would, be, they would love God with all their heart. I pray that they would love people. I pray they would be people of integrity. I pray that they would be people of courage. You know, these are the kinds of things I pray. Why? Because as a parent, what do I want most for my children? It's not, it's like where they, I care about where they work and how much money they make and where they go to school and all those things. I mean, they're all important, right? I care about all those things, but they're nothing compared to who they are as a person, right? And so the most important thing is, God, I don't care if this or that. But I, I want them to love you, love people. I want them to have the right priorities in life. I want to be passionate. I want to be warriors for you. Right. Okay, so that's me praying. Well, can you imagine how much more God the Father is like that? As he looks at our lives as children, oh, he cares about every part of your life, every little part of your life. He cares about where you work and your job and, and who you marry and, and, and where you live. And he cares about everything. But can I tell you something? He cares one, about one thing more than anything else. He cares about your core character. Are you like Jesus? Now, Jesus himself taught this. And I want us to do a little Bible study together for a few minutes. I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to look at a couple passages. I want you to turn to the left in your Bible to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. This is a passage where Jesus is laying out what it looks like to be a Christ follower. It's a long passage. And... Uh, Right in the middle of it, he drops this little insight that's really easy to miss. And he says in verse 40, 640, he says, A student is not above his teacher, 
But everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Okay? So as a student, not above his teacher, everyone who's fully trained, key phrase, will be like his teacher. Now, here's the interesting thing about this passage. You know the word for student here? It's the little Greek word, mathetes. And the word mathetes is the normal, common word used in the Bible for disciple. Okay? So when you read through the Gospels, the disciples did this, disciples did that. When you read through the book of Acts, the early church, the Christians are called disciples, and disciples went here, and disciples did this. Disciple was just the normal term for a Christ follower, what we would call a Christian today. We've often butchered this as if disciple is like a high-level committed person. In the New Testament, disciple is just a Christ follower. They're, they're, they're a follower of Jesus, okay? And so what I want you to catch here is Jesus is defining why he calls us to follow him. He says a student or a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, notice, no exceptions, everyone who is fully what? Trained will become like his teacher. You see, Jesus is defining what does it mean to be a Christ follower. It means to be trained to become like Christ. You see? The way I often put it here is the whole purpose of following Jesus is to become like Jesus. See? And so often in American Christian circles, we have watered this down so much to where we think the whole purpose of coming to Jesus just gets saved, then you move on to the next person. Like, oh, have you have you accepted have you prayed the prayer? Yes, okay, great, let's move on. The whole purpose of following Jesus is not to get you saved, it's to make you like Jesus. In fact, if you study the word salvation in the New Testament, guess what? Salvation is a process, and it's a process that ends up being like Jesus. Now, um, this becomes such an important and and powerful thing. The Apostle Paul says this becomes his life purpose then. If the whole purpose of following Jesus becomes like Jesus, if he's a spiritual leader, guess what? His whole purpose is to help and to pastor people to become like Jesus. And so I want you to see this. I want you to turn to the right in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. He tells us about his whole philosophy of ministry. Colossians chapter 1, <coughs> verse 28. 128. Um, Paul's talking about his ministry as a pastoral, part of a, a pastoral team of people. He says, we proclaim him, as we, the spiritual leaders, Timothy and so on, who are with him, we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, admonishing, which is a word for like warning. One of the things a good pastor does is he tells you, here's how to be blessed, but here's the warning, here's what you don't want to go, right? And so he says, we're, we proclaim Christ, we're, we're warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone, now catch this, no exceptions, Everyone, what are the next three words? Perfect in Christ. You see that? Paul says this is his life purpose. He says, uh, the purpose of my life, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing, when I come into it, I start a church, when I'm leading a church, whatever, he says the whole purpose is to help everyone in that congregation, no exceptions, become perfect in Christ. Now, it's interesting. Because if I would have asked you before looking at this verse, is your goal in life to become perfect in Christ? 
you probably your first response would have been, well, no, we can't be perfect. And of course, the New Testament doesn't teach that we could ever reach like sinless perfection. But I think for many times as Christians, we don't get this. That we come to Jesus, we give our life to Jesus, we think we're supposed to learn a little about Jesus and change a few things, but we don't really get the scope of what God is after to change us, to make us like Jesus. Paul says it in Romans 8, right? To be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus says that the student, like his teacher, were all in a training program to become like him. That's the whole point. Paul says it here as a spiritual leader, his whole point is to help everyone become perfect in Christ. Are you catching it? Are you catching it? Now, now, now catch this, then this becomes the vision of our church, right? This is what Rocky Peak is about. We're not about just getting people saved and then move on to the next person or something like that. We're about becoming like Jesus, and that's why we gather. The question is, if Jesus were doing your life, if he had your job as a bookkeeper or a bulldoze driver or a a corporate lawyer, if he had your job, how would he do it? If he had your family, your life situation, your finances, your spiritual gifts, how would Jesus do his life if he were you, you see? And that's what the purpose of this church is. That's why we gather on the weekends. That's why we meet in homes, because by gathering together, we can become like Jesus faster than we could apart, right? And so if, if we're not coming here and like getting a notch in our belt for spiritual good attendance, We're coming here to become like Jesus as fast as possible, right? Now look what Paul says next in verse 29. He says, to this end I labor, I work hard at this, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works inside of me. Paul says, man, as a spiritual leader, I sense God working in me. I sense him leading. I sense him directing. I sense him motivating me. And man, I'm just passionate about this. I'm going to help every one of you become like Jesus. That's what it's all about, you see. And that's what this church becomes all about. And that's the vision of this church, that we would be Christ followers being trained to think and to act and to feel like Jesus would if he were in our shoes. That's, that's what it's all about. Isn't that cool? It's awesome that he just lays out this very clear vision for this is what being a, a follower of Jesus at church is all about. Now, okay, so that's number one. God's got a plan. Um, his plan is to make you like Jesus. That's the plan. Number two, the second principle goes like this, that God is always working his plan. In other words, um, God is never taking a day off. Uh, he's not... Uh, He's not like, okay, set up the plan, turning over someone else to run the plan. God's always working his plan in your life. There is not a day, not a moment when he's not working his plan. The things that happen in your life are not an accident. He is working together the good, the bad, and the ugly to accomplish his plan. You see? Now, this is what Paul is saying in Romans 8. He says, before time began, and this is one of those things, honestly, where I don't know if this ever happens to you. Do you ever read the Bible, and then you just kind of feel like, oh, man, is that really true? Like, really? Do you ever read that? Like, maybe you're all, you're way more spiritual than me, but I tell you, I read this sometimes, and I go, really? And I have conversations about, God, this is, sometimes because they're really hard things the Bible says, like, are you kidding? There's other times where it's just like, it's too good to be true. It's like, it's so good to be true, it's hard to believe. No, it can't really be that good. This is one of those times. 
Because this is what Paul says. He says, okay, step back with me. Let's say that you're a Christ follower here. I'm just going to like, pick one of you. Just, you know, let's say I pick one of you. I come up on, on stage. In fact, uh, Howard, why don't you come up on stage? <laughs> okay, here we got a Christ follower. Let's give a hand to this Christ follower, Howard. Okay. Now, I've not done this the other services, so I'm not sure how this is going to work. But, uh, okay, there you go. Okay. okay, so Howard, you're a Christ follower. Yes. You've given your life to Christ. Yes. Okay, you follow. When did you make that decision? Okay, 15 years old, he makes a decision. Now, here's what Paul's saying, all right? He goes, okay. He says that before time began, before the creation of the world, God thought up Howard, right? He foreknew him. And that he then predestined him. He planned it out for Howard to come to him. And then he called him. At a certain point in time, when he was 15 years old, he called him. And when Howard came, instead of saying, Howard, I'm not going to accept you because you've screwed up already, even though you're only 15. He said, I'm going to justify you based on what my son did. And he says, and Howard, one more thing. The last step is I'm going to glorify you, and when my son comes back, you're going to be amazing. Okay? Now, thank you, Howard. That's good. Good job, Howard. Okay, now. Now, if I'm Howard, that's amazing news. But if I'm Howard, I may struggle with it. Is that really true? Are you kidding? The God of the universe has thought me up before time began, and he planned out this whole thing from beginning to end, and he's worked. Is that really true? And Paul says, absolutely take it to the bank. If you're a Christ follower, that is the story of your life. That this is a supernatural thing that's been going on before time began. It will go on after time ends. Now, here's the amazing part. And not only, not only is God working the plan, but here's the amazing point. You take the fall of man, the death of the planet, right? All the mess that we've made of our lives and by rebelling against God as a race. And guess what? God says, I don't care how bad the race is messed up or the, or the universe is messed up. Nothing can stop me from carrying out the plan. No matter what's happened to you, good, bad, or ugly, I will weave all that together as a master craftsman into something good in your life. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. I mean, he's brilliant. To be able to do that, he's brilliant. You know, often when uh, you know, we do baby dedications several times a year, right? And so I'm up here. And uh, often I've just met these families and just met the baby. And so often when I take a baby in my arms and I'm praying, you've probably heard me pray this. I'll often say something like this, God, I know this young man is new to us, which is literally true because often I just met them. But we know he's not new to you, that you thought him up before time began. That is not baby dedication talk. That is Christ follower talk, you see? That's exactly what, what Paul is saying here. That, and that, that he's so big and he's so amazing, he could take even the tragic things of our life and weave them together. Now, we started the day with the story of Joe. And I'm sure some of you picked up on it, especially around church. This is a very famous story from the Old Testament, right? The story of Joseph, we call him. And, and Joseph, born in this very dysfunctional family uh, that we described uh, you know, ends up being sold by his brothers, goes down to Egypt. When he gets down there, things go from bad to worse. He starts working for the Egyptian slave owner. 
he rises up in the company, so to speak, there. Then the guy's wife accuses him of attempted rape. Um, and uh, he gets thrown in a political prison just for prisoners with no trial date and no end in sight, you see. So his life falls apart. Now, if you know the story, you've read the book or seen the movie or whatever, you know that at the end of the story, uh, at the end of the story, his brothers come to town many years later, right? He's like 20 years later now after this. They don't recognize him. He's second, he's, through a supernatural series of events, he's second in command in this, one of the top superpowers of the world at the time. And so they don't recognize him. All they know is he's the prime minister they have to deal with. And so this is the first time that they're going to, he's going to reveal himself to them. And I want you to turn there to Genesis 44. I want you to see what he says, because I don't know about you, but probably most of us in the room have not experienced as much tragedy as Joseph. Some of you may have, but, but I mean, unless you've been almost killed by your brother, sold into slavery, accused, falsely accused of rape, thrown in prison, left to rot, then his story is pretty, pretty tragic. So you go to, to uh, Genesis 44, and, and you got to picture this scene. Uh, they don't know who he is. He's just like the vice president of the United States to them, second in command. Okay. And so that's all they know. And so Joseph says to his brothers, there's four, 45-4, Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. They're probably thinking, great, we get so close. Not. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph. You know the guy you sold? <laughs> now, if I'm writing the script, here's how it goes. I'm your brother Joseph. Remember me? Look deeply in my eyes. This is the last thing you'll ever see. All right. Goodbye. But it's not what he says. Why? Because Joseph had learned an important lesson. This is a key lesson in terms of forgiveness. We'll talk about forgiveness in a few weeks. Key lesson is that God is bigger than the people in our lives, even those that hurt us. And look what he says. He says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. Now, do not be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that, who sent me here? God. That God sent me here. Wait a second. God sent me here? No, I thought it was the brothers. They beat him up. They threw him in a pit. They're going to kill him. They sold him into slavery. I thought it was the brothers. Joseph, no, actually it wasn't. That actually, there's someone bigger who rules my life, who works through all the tragedy, all the pain to accomplish his purposes. He says, for, verse 6, for two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. For, catch it again, God, second time, God sent me ahead of you to preserve life for you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You know, you jump ahead 15, 20 years, his family's all moved down to Egypt now with his father and so on. His father dies, his brothers are panicking. Hey, he let us off the hook while dad was alive, but now that dad's gone, maybe he's going to wipe us out. So he gets rumor here. Here's the rumor. He gets them together. Look at chapter 50 of Genesis. 
Well, that just shows us this wasn't a temporary statement on, on Joseph's part. This was a permanent mindset. Verse 19, 5019, Joseph says to him, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, I'm not your judge. You intended to harm me. Catch that. You intended to harm me. He's not, he's calling it like it is. You did me wrong. There are people in your life who did you wrong. God is not asking you to forgive them in the sense of, oh, minimizing that. It wasn't that bad. They didn't mean it. No, you call it like it was. It's the first step to forgiveness. You call it like it is. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for what? For good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so what does Paul say? Paul says in Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. He does not say that all things are good because they're not. We live in a tragic, horrible, fallen cosmos where horrible things happen. There are bad things that happen. uh, Joseph experienced horrible things done to him, and yet God was bigger and weaving together the good, the bad, and the ugly to accomplish his purposes in Joseph's life. Something's good. You know, some of you may have heard this story but uh, it's a powerful story of uh, five, there was five missionary men. They're, they're young guys from Wheaton College. Um, they were uh, passionate Christ followers back in the 50s, 1950s. They felt like God was calling them to take the message of Jesus to this headhunter tribe down in South America called the Alka Indians. They were very, they were, you know, very dangerous uh, tribe. And so they, they went in, they did all the right things. They tried to establish contact. They built some trust. Things were going really well. And then for one, one day, for whatever reason, uh, the tribe went crazy and they, they butchered them. They, they killed all five of them. And the amazing thing about the story is that all five men were, were married to these warrior wives, just passionate Christ followers. And they said, that's not the end of the story. The story is not ending that way. We're going to take the message of Jesus and the message of forgiveness in to these same Indians who killed our husband. And they took it in, and the Indians were so impressed that they gave their life to Christ, and there was a huge movement of just tribe after tribe coming to Christ for their witness. Well, the wife of one of these men, Jim Elliott was the leader of these men. One of the the wives uh, was named Elizabeth. She's written several books, but one of her books she wrote looking back on this event and writing about her relationship with Jim in their courting days. And uh, their dating days. And it's a great book. It's called Passion and Purity. I'd highly recommend it, uh, especially if you're single. But um, anyway, there's a great quote in there. She looks back on this, her life with Jim, their relationship, and the tragedy that happened. And look what she says here. It's on your note sheet. She said, we, had always, we are always held in the love of God. We are never wholly at the mercy of other people. They are only second causes. And no matter how many second or third or 50th causes seem to be in control of what happens to us, it is God who's in charge. He who holds the keys. He who casts the final lot into the lap. You see what she's saying? She's saying Romans 8, 28. That this God who loves you before time and has been working out his plan throughout all of history for this time in your life and for your future, he is always working his plan and he's so brilliant When we give our life to him, he's able to take the good, the bad, and the ugly and make something amazing. And here's the thing, even our mistakes and even our sins. I look back at my own life and I look at some of the stupidest, rebellious things I've done and how God not only forgave me, 
but I watched him weave that into a new story of something good. Now, is that grace or what? It's grace and it's brilliance, all packaged in one being, this God that we worship. Now, number three. The last point goes like this, that not only does God have a plan, not only is he working a plan, but God's plan for your life, take you to the bank, it's bulletproof. This thing is bulletproof. This is what Paul's trying to tell us in Romans 8. There's no one, there's nothing that's big enough, strong enough, bad enough to stop the plan that God's working in your life. Now, every week we start in Romans, right? But then we, we branch off into what else does Paul teach on this topic? Well, one of his best places where he teaches on God's plan for your life, big picture, is in the book of Ephesians. And there in your note sheet, I put several passages from Ephesians. And I just thought for fun, I put them in some different translations because it's just a little clearer, fresher. But I want to just read through this that it just shows that God has his plan. He's working the plan. He's going to carry out the plan. No one can stop him. But let's see what uh, Paul says in Ephesians about this. First one, coming from the New Living Translation. Chapter 1, long ago, bef- even before he made the world. Now underline that. That's the context. Before he made the world, God loved us. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan, there's the words, unchanging plan, has always been to adopt us into his own family, right? Big brother Jesus, new family, by bringing us into himself through Jesus Christ. Okay, it's been his plan from all along. Look at the next verse, a few verses down, New Century Version. We were chosen to be God's people because from the very beginning, God had decided this in keeping with his plan. And he is the one who makes everything agree with what he decides and what he wants. I love that. He kind of comes up with a plan, then he just makes it happen. Look at the next one from the message version, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Talking about God, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives. He made us alive with Christ. He did this on his own with no help from us. It wasn't our performance. It wasn't our initiative. He came after us. And then he picked us up and he set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. I love this next line. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon him. You get what he's saying here? God's got you right where he wants you. He's gonna make you like his son and then guess what? For the rest of eternity, he's just gonna be loving you. That's why he came after you. For the rest, he's got you right where he wants you. In fact, in the next verse, it's the same passage, just in the New International Version. God raised us up with Christ in order in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And look at the last verse, Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work, this is Paul again, he who began a good work in you, right, before time began, he will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you get it? It's bulletproof. He started it. He's carrying it out every day of your life. He's going to finish it. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. There's no one big enough. There's no one bad enough. There's no one strong enough to derail God's future and for your life. Isn't that amazing? Now, let's wrap this thing up. This whole series, mini-series we've been in. Let's, let's review where we've gone. Chapter 5. What did we learn? That we've been now made right with God, not based on our performance, 
but on God's, right? We stand in that place called grace. We have peace with God. That's chapter 5. Chapter 6. Remember the great divide? The great divide was baptism. Remember? He said that when we step over the line and we follow Jesus in the waters of baptism, we die to the old life. We rise to a new life. We are finally set free. Remember that term? Free to be the people we are created to be. Chapter 7. He says, you know what, in the old life before we came to Jesus, we knew the right thing to do, but we didn't have the power to do it. But now through Jesus, we've received his spirit who can change us and empower us. Chapter 8, he talks to us more about the Holy Spirit, how he's come to live inside us, change us from the inside out, and how the Holy Spirit is our guarantee, our first down payment on what's coming in the future. And he says, and by the way, that future is amazing. God's going to recreate you. He's going to recreate planet Earth, the whole cosmos. He's going to restore the whole thing. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be just like Jesus. You're going to be amazing. You're going to share his glory. And now today, he puts an exclamation point on it. He says, and by the way, last thing I want to tell you, this plan that's been going since the beginning of time, this plan is bulletproof. No one big enough, no one strong enough, no one bad enough to stop it. This universe is on track. It's going to be remade. It's going to be restored. You're going to be part of it. And it's going to be amazing. And he wraps it up. And you could almost, you know, I don't know if you know this. Paul didn't actually write Romans. He dictated Romans. And I can almost see this guy named Tertius. He's dictating it too. And you could almost see like Tertius just writing really fast here because at the end of chapter 8, Paul just goes off. He is just going off. Do you catch that when you read this? And he's just going off. In fact, let's, let's just kind of go off with him, right? Let's close your eyes. I'm just going to read his final words as he comes to the end of this series of Rescued and Restored. And you almost feel he's just, he's just starting to run out of words. And he starts to speak faster. He's dictating so fast. Just listen to what he says. He says, for we know that God, for, those who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And what then should we say in response to this? If God's for us, I mean, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will separate us from this love of Christ? Oh, shall trouble or hardship or persecution? How about famine? nakedness, danger, the sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can stop what God's going to do in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray together. God, we just come as your people, the church at Rocky Peak, students, apprentices, being trained to be like you. We come, Lord, and we just worship. We bow down. This amazing plan that started before time began that will carry us beyond time when it ends, that you have come after us, that you have loved us, that you have called us, that you planned it out. And that no one or no, nothing can stop this plan that you have in our lives as Christ's followers. God, we worship you for that. We celebrate that. We rejoice in that. 
And now while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, let me talk to you. You might be here and you say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I don't understand the whole thing. But Mike, something's happening to me as you're speaking. I want what you're talking about. I want to know this Jesus, and I want to have that plan for my life, and I want him to take all my past, and I want him to redeem it and make it into something good. And I want to know him, and I want to be a student of his, and I want to become like him, and I want to share forever with him, and I want to be glorified with him, and I want it. And I don't know how to get it, but I want it. Well, if that's your story, that journey just starts with a simple request. You ask Jesus into your life. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now. And if this expresses a desire of your heart, I ask you just to call out on the Lord. Just pray along with me in your heart and your mind. And he will respond to you. Just pray, dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. I ask you to forgive me for all my offenses against you. I ask you to cleanse me and make me a new person. Come and live with me by your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Teach me how to follow you. And save a place in the next life so I can be with you forever. While our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, I'd like you to do me a favor. In fact, I need you to do me a favor. In just a moment, we're going to be taking the offering. There's a registration card inside your program. And I want you to let me know that you made that decision today. Just write me a note. Mike, I prayed that prayer. I asked Christ into my life, however you want to put it. Because here's what needs to happen next. The next thing that needs to happen is you need to get baptized. As we learned in chapter 6, the great divide. You need to step over the line and publicly say, I want to follow. And we're going to have a baptism in the next couple of weeks. And so I'm going to send you a letter this week letting you know about that. I'll also send you some information. I'll also send you a New Testament in simple language. You can begin to read and grow and learn about this Jesus that you're following. So there's a lot of good things that are going to happen, but I need you to write that down for me so we can be praying for you this week. Lord, we come to you now as a church at Rocky Peak. We stand as Christ's followers before you, Lord. We, we are here in the name of Jesus Christ, justified by his blood, risen with him, forgiven, and can't wait for the final chapter. We thank you today for your word and spelling out our eternal destiny. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.